0: The Live with Squacky podcast is sponsored in part by Min-Atlantic VoiceOver and Antland Productions. After a week of vacation in the Outer Banks with my family, I feel relaxed and ready to get back to work. Though, truth be told, I never really stop working. (laughs) I'm always kind of thinking about the podcast, my next character audition, and how to build the best Mabo 2021 schedule so that everyone will love it. The schedule and the budget are by far the most difficult parts of the conference to plan. I can tell you, though, it's all coming together nicely, and as I've said before, this is truly going to be our best event thus far. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Live with Squacky. I'm your host, Val Kelly, otherwise known as Squacky Voice. Now let's get into part one of this episode. My special guest today is Todd Creel, otherwise known across social media platforms as the Great Todd Man. He's been voice acting, live streaming, podcast hosting, providing live esports commentary, audio engineering, and writing fiction and sports journalism since 2016. I connected with Todd on Twitter when I reached out amongst the Twitterverse to find new and exciting guests to interview for the show. It's such an honor to have you on the show today, Todd. Thanks for taking the time out of your day to chat with me.
1: Oh, I appreciate you having me on.
0: Of course. I have to start out by asking about the name you're known as across social media, The Great Todd Man. How did that come about?
1: <laughs> so, funny story. I don't suppose you're a fan of Dragon Ball Z, are you?
0: I've tiptoed <laughs> in it, but I'm not super into it.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, it's an old cartoon show, anime, that got popular in America when I was a kid. And there was a character in it named the Great Saya Man. And I was young, so I said the Great Todd Man. And I was probably, shoot, middle school? And it's stuck ever since. Literally, (laughs) it's been going on for 20 years now.
0: That's such a great story. I love that you pulled it from Dragon Ball Z and that you kind of had that from the time you were younger. That's so cool.
1: I guess it's not nearly as cool when you give yourself your own nickname, but... It could be worse, right? At least I got to pick my own and everybody stuck with it.
0: Yeah, (laughs) that's funny. How did you get your start in voiceover?
1: So that's a strange story. And I don't really know when or what you would consider voiceover. I've been making money using my voice from my first job. However, that job was in sales, not really voiceover. But even back then I was told, hey, you've got the gift of gab. My grandmother always said that I was negotiating by the time I was three years old. She said to to try to get bottles and things like that. So I've always just been very good at talking to people. And then finally, I made my switch over to Twitch as a little part time gig, and had been doing that for several years. And all of the people that watch me on Twitch, is, you know, they're saying, "Hey, you got a good voice? Can you manipulate it at all?" I'm like, "No, this is just how I talk." And yeah, here we are. I guess about two years ago or so, I got my first voiceover role, which was just a little $10 gig where somebody wanted me to say a few words, but that lit the fire under me. And I've been pursuing it ever since. And I've been doing it full time now for about six months, something oh, like cool. that. Yeah. When uh, in the middle of the pandemic, I happened to lose my job and was just decided to take the risks if I was going to be stuck at home anyways. And I have all the equipment, I might as well just go full on into it. And Thus far, it's been pretty good for me. At least I'm paying the bills anyways.
0: That's great. That's the goal, right? Pay the right. Bills. <laughs> 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 I was checking out your website, www.thegreattodman.com and saw that you're active in the live entertainment world on Twitch. So this is going to make me sound kind of old, but what is Twitch and how do you use it? And also, do you think it's helped to further your voiceover career?
1: So Twitch is a... I guess it's kind of hard to describe at the very bare bones of it. It's a live streaming platform, not unlike YouTube or Mixer was in the past or anything like that, but it just allows you to do whatever you want live on camera and speak to people directly instead of having to respond to comments later on. So it's just live entertainment. It's primarily for gamers. But you'll find like workout streams, uh, cooking streams, uh, there's even mental health streams where a psychologist will get on there and answer questions and things like that. But me, I'm a nerd. I use it for gaming. I do what's (laughs) called speed running, which is just beating the old games I grew up on as fast as possible and timing myself and trying to do better each time. As far as furthering my voiceover career, I don't know that I've ever booked any gigs off Twitch. However... Just being able to be in front of people live. I mean, at this point, I have probably over 1,500 or 2,000 hours live on Twitch. So getting that just raw time, getting used to being in front of people and talking on the spot, I think that's helped out a little bit with things like anxiety and being shy in front of people, things like that, which is advancing your voiceover career in a sense.
0: I have never used it, obviously, Mm -hmm. or wouldn't be asking about it. My daughter, who's 13, is super into gaming and she's like, mom, you should go on Twitch. I have so many social media platforms already, Mm -hmm. you know, with Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and
1: it's so much to
0: keep up with. Honestly, I'm almost at the point now where I just need a social media manager because I feel like I'm always spending all my time strategizing what I'm going to put on which platform. And it takes up so much time, you know?
1: It does. So, there's got to be really an easier does. way.
0: I know Discord. That's what I don't know why
1: Discord. <laughs> okay, and I know you know this. There's different things you have to do for each one. The same. Plan doesn't work across the board. So you'll spend an hour on Twitter, and that doesn't mean that that rinses over to Instagram. Then you got to spend an hour on Instagram. And then before you know it, you've eaten up half your day trying to worry about social media and haven't really done much else. So
0: yeah, it's like, oh, I just spent six hours on Twitter. Like, not really, I'm just kidding. But right, right. When I first started on Twitter, I first got a Twitter. I was like, oh, okay. And I had to figure out how to say what I wanted to say in so few words. And Characters and stuff. And it was just so hard. I remember spending hours and hours per day just trying to figure out Twitter. And then it took forever just to build a following, you know? But it's not like that carries over to Instagram, which is a totally different scenario where you have to be completely visual and people really respond to authenticity, you know? So if you're putting like a thousand filters on your picture, some people (laughs) respond to that and some people don't. I decided to separate my accounts. I have my personal account, which is me as a voice actor, but I keep Mm -hmm. it private because there's nothing bad on it, but I just, I like to mess around with filters. It's just for fun. It's not like, oh, this isn't who I authentically am. I just have fun with it.
1: Right. Um, It's it's a tough rope to have to walk sometimes because I I don't have mine separated. So I really have to catch myself because my natural attitude is I'm just, I'm honestly just a smart aleck all the time. It just (laughs) comes, it's uh, my father's son, as my mom would say, and he's a smart aleck. And I really got to watch myself on social media because I naturally just want to be cheeky with everybody. I'm like, you really can't do that. You got to be a little more professional, man.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it depends on what you're using it for, right? So if you (laughs) do separate your accounts like I do, again, me as a voice actor, a squacky voice, there's nothing on my page that I really wouldn't want to share publicly. But I keep it private because it's sometimes my kids or you know, my husband or whatever, my friends, if I do want to put something out there that's a little bit more personal, then I have the option of doing that. And it's private. You know what I mean? Whereas right. with Atlantic voiceover and live with Squacky for the podcast, of course, they're public because if you make them private, it's going to be twice as hard to build your following.
1: Exactly. Which,
0: which also baffles me why people have private Twitter accounts.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't
0: get it because if you're that private of a person where you're not going to put anything out publicly, then just don't be on social media because t- Twitter is a place where you a hundred percent have to just interact with each other and build your network. Right. It's a huge place. It's a huge opportunity for voice actors, for anyone in the entertainment industry. That's mostly what I'm focusing on because that's what we're talking about to build their network and to get potential work. Because now on Twitter, there's so much more work than there ever has been in the past. When I first started on Twitter, I wasn't on there to book voiceover work. I was just on there to build my network. Right Now it's casting calls all the time. And you have to really be careful because some of them are really-
1: It's a blessing and a curse. It it certainly is. There's so many uh, opportunities out there And I think from an economic sense, when there's a flood of opportunities like that and all these thirsty voiceover artists just ready to get their foot in the door, I think it really drives down the price of everything because now you've got an abundance of voice actors trying to get in. And when you're trying to book a gig, you're going to be auditioning for everything. And if I'm trying to run a gig, of course, budget has to come in mind. And if I'm picking from 10 voice actors, the price is going to be a lot different than when I have 100 to choose from. Right. You know, so it's good to have the work going around. Sometimes it's hard to get on board when you see how much work you have to put into something and you see the payout at the end of the tunnel. And you're like, can I really justify taking the time out of my schedule to work on this when the payment isn't going to justify how many hours I'm going to have to invest into it? So again, it comes down to that tightrope you have to walk when it comes to time management, I think.
0: Yeah. And that's just it. There are so many people that are out there. If you're out there, as a voice actor, and you're just trying to get your foot in the door, I totally get wanting to audition for everything and take lower paying gigs, but it's not something I would recommend. Mm -hmm. Because if you set your standards to say, I'm going to do this gig for, let's say, $50, then you're opening up the World to say, I'm going to always accept jobs for $50 when maybe it's only going to take you 10 seconds to do the actual job, which is fine. But at the same time, it's your voice that they're going to use. For whatever, right. and a good example is booking talking toys, which I do a lot of, have done a lot of in the past, and I love doing them.
1: That's it's awesome, so by the fun. way. It's
0: it's <laughs> oh, thanks. It's definitely my favorite, and for some reason, something that I book the most of, just because I really love character work. It's what I do best. Me too. And the thing is, though. I think the thing that bothers me a little bit is that it's always a buyout. (laughs) So say, for example, I book like a kitty toy, right? And my meows and purrs are all in this ready to go. They have this file. Well, it's a buyout. So they can use my cat voice for anything for the rest of all of eternity. Like 20 years from now, I could be in little cat toys somewhere and I'm not getting repaid for it because right. it's a buyout. So you go into it knowing that that's the deal, right? So am I lowering my standards by doing that? No. But at the same time, it's like, because it, it's also kind of cool at the same time, because if you go into a toy store and you're like, oh, I wonder if I'm this kitty toy. Oh, that's me. <laughs> that's me. You know, I booked this five years ago, but that they're still using my meows and purrs for this toy. So I don't know. It's a real tricky type of scenario.
1: It you is. You have to really
0: balance it out, try to balance it out in your head, what you really want to think as of acceptable for what you're going to book.
1: And I'm a stickler for negotiations and stuff, especially when it comes to a buyout. You, I am that person that will I probably got a bad rap with some people <laughs> just because if you're going to buy out my voice and you're going to use it indefinitely, I need to see some type of kickback. If it's not monetary, I completely understand, but I need to be able to say, Hey, this is me you know, I've had people try to do a buyout and then put in the non-disclosure agreement that I'm never allowed to talk about. And I'm like, I can't do that (laughs) y'all. You're going to be making money from my voice for the time I send the file until you decide it's not good enough anymore. And I'm supposed to just not even acknowledge that that's my voice. I think negotiations definitely come into play with things like that. I haven't, Honestly, ever gotten a call or anything about voicing a toy? That would be something on my bucket list I want to knock out one day. Yeah, it's fantastic. (laughs)
0: Uh, I wish they would even just put like a tiny note on the back of the toy that says voiced by you. If it's multiple people, just like give the voice actor credit. And they don't. And that's part of the deal. Right. It just is. But it is kind of cool when I can, when Toys R Us still existed and I could go into the toy store. That's so sad, by the way. But (laughs) (laughs) Now I have to go into Target and search to see if my new toys are out yet. But my kids are like, mom, seriously, every time, like, why do we have to spend every time in the toy store?
1: Do you end up in the toy aisle more often than your children do?
0: Oh, yeah. Totally. (laughs) That's great. What are some obstacles you've had to overcome since starting in the voiceover industry?
1: The biggest obstacles I've had to overcome are myself, really. Self-doubt. I think that's everybody's biggest obstacle they have to overcome, especially when in an industry like this, where generally speaking, the payout is going to be directly related to the amount of work and vigilance you put into it. As soon as you let off the gas, nobody's going to put their foot on it for you. So it's really easy to send out 20 leads, get no responses, and just decide, oh, this maybe this isn't for me. I'm not good enough. And it's tough sometimes to keep pushing forward. I'm fortunate enough to... I do a lot of audiobooks. <laughs> so a lot of my roles take extended periods of time to finish. And then they have a bigger paycheck at the end of the day because of that. So I fortunately have the benefit of being able to have consistent work for long periods of time while I'm doing auditions for other stuff. And I know a lot of voice actors don't have that benefit. A lot of them are trying to book work to put food on the table. And I can certainly understand how that can be deterring. It was like that for me for a long time until... I started booking audiobooks pretty much back-to-back. Apparently, I just have that voice that people like to listen to audiobooks on.
0: Nice.
1: Again, blessing and a curse. I would really like to be doing more character work than audiobooks, but skills pay the bills, and that's what people want to hear me do, so that's what I'll keep doing until further notice.
0: <laughs> audiobooks have a lot of characters in them sometimes. Certainly. Anyway, right? Or a lot of character work sometimes. Oh, depends yeah. depends on the book, right?
1: It's long sessions. It's a... Uh, I've been a sound engineer a lot longer than I've been a voice actor. I actually worked, I owned an indie record label back in 2010, and we had a couple of groups in the Richmond area that we were marketing. And I was doing all the sound engineering for them and getting together their albums and stuff, but I wasn't doing the recording at the time. At the time, we were going to a different recording studio, and then they were sending me the raw files, and then I was working with them from there. So I got a lot of experience just being in the studio, seeing how it worked. Recording audiobooks is long hours because for every hour of finished audio you hear, there's probably three total hours of work that goes behind the scenes. So it's yeah. long days. <laughs> it can wear you down, but it, you do get a lot of practice at least.
0: Yeah. That's why I don't do audiobooks.
1: I <laughs> <laughs> Don't blame you. It can be straining on the voice. There's only but so long you can talk in one day before you have to call it quits. You get a lot of flack from people who maybe are on their first book. Let's say their first audiobook, and they say, Well, it's only a hundred thousand words. What do you mean it's going to take you six weeks to produce? You can read it in a week. Like, yeah, I can read it in a week. I can't speak it in a week. <laughs> it takes more time than that.
0: I really am amazed at audiobook narrators. For me, it's not about not being able to do the performance or mm-hmm. voice stamina. For me, it's about the editing process. If I could do it and have someone else do all the editing, then that would be a different story. I'd be totally 100% in. Right. But since that's not the case or you have to outsource it and then it's going to cost you more, it's something I might consider later in my life when I have more time. But right now I just have so many different balls in the air that I can't, I don't have that much time to be able to sit down and edit stuff. So, I mean, just editing the podcast, I do the first edit and then uncle Roy, who's my co-producer does the final mixing and mastering because for me to try to do it myself, it's not good. (laughs) Right. So,
1: I mean, you're familiar with where I'm coming from on that. It's, it's a lot of extra work and I'm just, again, very fortunate to have that background where when I decided to pursue voice acting as a career and everything, I just had a really solid foundation underneath me to where I could run everything myself. I can do all the marketing myself. I can do all the editing and mastering myself. I have all of my own equipment to record everything on. So I was just fortunate to come into it in such a position that I was in versus somebody that's talking on a headset microphone and then trying to figure out how to break into the industry. I already had everything for me. So very lucky in that regard. That's another strong trait that not a lot of people have, but it's good to have is when just to admit that you're in over your head and then look for help elsewhere. I think it makes the job a lot easier sometimes. And some people are very adamant about doing it all themselves and it, it can hold them back.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Live is Squacky. Join us next time for part two of this great interview with Todd Creel. Live with Squacky was mixed and mastered by everybody's favorite voiceover tech, Uncle Roy Ockelson of Antland Productions. Want more information about the MAVO 2021 Time to Grow Online Voiceover Conference? Visit midatlanticvo.com today for all the vital information that you need. There's also a link there to click to register today. I'd love to see you there.